0: As we continue our way through the book of Mark, if you want to follow with me, chapter 14, starting at verse 22. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God." Father, we thank You for Your kindness to us. We thank You, Lord, in Your care and creation of all things. We thank You, Lord, that all things are in Your hands, You hold all things together through Your Son. And thank You that You have given us words and language, uh, that You have recorded and kept Your Word for us. I pray, Father, as we seek to submit to Your Word, to hear Your Word, to depend upon Your Spirit and the work of Your Son, to be transformed by our mind and in our heart because of Your Word this morning. That You would give grace. You would help us as we are needy, Father. Lord, that You would give my mouth clarity. And that You would give our hearts conviction. Because of the work of Your Son. Amen. As we look at the passage before us, it is brief. Uh, It is Common to Mark, as all the other Gospels, Mark is the briefest, the most concise. And so in these few verses, Mark describes Jesus' institution of communion uh, with His disciples. In this larger section that we've looked at in the preparation for the Passover. And as we think about this, I I want you to consider how needy you are of reminders. Reminders. I'm often reminded of how needy I am for reminders on Sunday mornings. Uh, Sunday mornings, before service, after service, I frequently have people coming up to me and saying, hey, for children's ministry, we need this, or hey, can, can we do this this week, or can you uh, purchase this for church, or can we meet together to do this? There are lots of things requested, uh, and thankfully, I keep my personal assistant with me at all times. And uh, she regularly listens to me, though she has trouble understanding my words and sometimes, interestingly, transcribes them. But it's frequent on a Sunday morning that I say, Siri, remind me at 2 o'clock of whatever. Because the many things that are given to me or put in my mind or placed before me, it is hard for me to remember, to keep track. And I assume for all of us, uh, it is the same in life. We are a people burdened by many things. We have many demands, many desires, many possessions. uh, Much in the world that distracts us. Much that calls for our attention. We are a people needy of reminders. And communion is intended to be that very thing. A reminder, a remembrance to us. Something that stops us from our daily routine from our regular life and causes us and calls us to reflect on what is more true, more important than just the daily tasks of life. It's our prayer that that is going on in many ways for even our youth today as they're at camp uh, and hearing this morning, the last teaching for camp and preparing to come home, that this would be a abnormal time for them, a time of reminder, a time of reflection, a time that's not just their regular life, but a retreat to hear and to think about things that are important as they're talking this weekend about being unashamed of the gospel. And we, like our children, are needy of reminders. I think it's displayed just in every week. I I go to context well, where were we last week, right? As you heard me teach for uh, an hour, well, 52 minutes last week, sorry to disappoint you and not make it to a full hour, but 52 minutes, you might not even remember where were we. In just seven days, that hour of your life could easily be just erased from your mind. You are needy of reminders. But if you do remember, we were in the prior passage, uh, Jesus had sent two disciples in order to organize for the preparation of the Passover. He had sent those disciples, and they were to meet a man who had a water jug, which would be very uncommon in the time, because uh, men would carry maybe a animal skin of water for them personally, but it would be common that ladies would be the ones carrying water jugs for cooking and cleaning and such things for the household. And so a clear sign to them, to meet him, to go to him, to follow him to his master's house and that his master would then encourage him or tell, uh, rather provide for them a place to have the Passover. And it it might be that you don't even know what we're talking about when we say the Passover. Uh, So I just want to point you to where you could look this week if you wanted to study and consider what is the Passover. Exodus 12. Exodus 12 proclaims and is the first place in discussion of the Passover, which is the remembrance of God's people, the the remembrance of the deliverance of God's people from Egypt out of slavery by the grace and the power of God. Particularly in the first Passover, that passing over is... Uh, Death passing over the house of Israel or the people of Israel because they would kill a lamb and then they would put the blood of that lamb on their doorpost and the last of ten plagues carried out in Egypt to display the power and the grace of God and the sinfulness of Egypt and His kindness and mercy on Israel. The last of those plagues was the death of the firstborn of everything in Egypt. The firstborn of animals, the firstborn of men. And throughout Egypt that night, all of the firstborn died. It was the last plague, the the breaking point for Pharaoh for a short time, while Israel then escaped, was freed, was sent out, delivered by God. And so that night, it was a miraculous and powerful and gracious display of God of His care and His mercy to them. And Israel is commanded... To remember that act. They're commanded to bring it to their remembrance. They, like many feasts and many other things they had and, and did to remind them and to make clear to them, Passover was an annual celebration, an annual meal, remembering that very event God freeing his people by mercy from Egypt. And God in His grace knew that Israel would need reminders. Reminders to remember that and the power and the grace of God. Also reminders to instruct that for future generations of God's grace and power. And I put in your handout, Exodus 12, 26-27, the instruction to Israel as when their children ask, when their children say, what do you mean by this service? Why, why are we having this meal? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for He passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when He struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their head and worshipped. That Passover was an act of mercy and grace as God was freeing His people from slavery in Egypt, as He had already promised He would do. You can look at the book of Genesis, and he tells Abraham that his people, the great nation that will come from him, will be enslaved for 400 years. And after that enslavement, he will free them. And so the Passover was a meal reminding Israel of the faithfulness and the mercy of God upon them. That as he showed judgment over Egypt, he showed grace and mercy and freed Israel from their slavery. And Jesus shows this meal... This Passover, as the reflection of, as all sacrifice in the Old Testament points to Christ, but the reminder now to institute communion for the church in a much similar way. As the Passover proclaimed their freedom from slavery to Egypt, communion proclaims to us our freedom from our slavery to sin. As the Passover proclaimed, Him freeing them from their future as slaves in Egypt, and the penalty of slavery, the burden of slavery from Egypt, communion proclaims to us our freedom from sin, and the penalties of sin, and the burdens of sin in judgment. And so Christ instituted, at this point, another meal that we call communion, or the Lord's table, or if you want to be a real fancy theologian, the Eucharist. I think that probably just causes more confusion. It's like when people speak Latin. You're just using a dead language to sound cool. But communion, the Lord's table, as we commonly call it, is given that we might reflect, we might remember. And it was given with a purpose. We're going to review six purposes or six points of communion from Mark and then also from 1 Corinthians 11 and why Christ instituted them. And you can see them on your handout. One, uh, memorial or remembrance of communion. Number two, the command for communion. Number three, the ordinance of communion for the church. Number four, the ongoing proclamation of communion. Number five, the ongoing anticipation of communion. And number six, individual examination in communion. Uh, A lot of things have happened to me preaching, but I've never been barked at. (laughs) So if you look with me again, let me read the text to you before we review. Mark 14 Of God. First, number one, the memorial of communion or the remembrance of communion. As the Lord, Table, and Communion is something the church has always participated in. It's because one of the earliest books of your Bible, 1 Corinthians, which was written before the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all came after 1 Corinthians, Paul's letter to the church of Corinth. And he wrote with instruction to them, what had been delivered to him by Christ, and what Christ instituted in all the Gospels we see, the Lord's Table. So as Danny read it for us this morning, let me read it for you again. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night He was betrayed took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it, and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so what is Christ instituting here? What is this communion meal? Well, we would say, uh, with Paul, it is a meal of remembrance. right? Most simply, I think if you just read the text of Paul, and it also says it in Luke, Christ says, do this in remembrance of Me. And So there's four historical views. I'll just give you briefly. Maybe you're familiar with them from a history class uh, or from your Bible study and knowledge. The first would be the Roman Catholic view, which we would reject. It assumes a literal transformation and an ongoing sacrifice of Christ. The Roman Catholics view communion not as an ordinance, but as a sacrament, as something that makes you holy. And they hold communion uh, being something that transforms the bread and the wine into the very body and blood of Christ. Catholic doctrine would proclaim this happens when the priest holds up the bread and proclaims it as the body of Christ. This is historically called transubstantiation, that communion is transformed into the literal body and blood of Christ. This is in a desire to take seriously the words when he says, this is my body. And what it fails to do is take seriously the reality of metaphor. When Christ says, this is my body, take and eat. It is the same in which Christ says, I am the door. But we don't claim that Christ is a door. When he says, I am the vine, I am the light of the world, I am the bread of life. He is not claiming to be those things. He is using those things as a metaphor to proclaim who he is. The only entry into heaven. The only clarity of light on earth. The only thing that sustains. And the only thing that his people are bound to. And so we would reject uh, transubstantiation, a view that says it is a literal transformation. That the bread is held up by the priest and it literally becomes the body and the blood of Christ. Uh, With us, Luther, uh, not the first reformer, but the most successful, uh, became and declared then what he called consubstantiation. Because Luther, holding and and knowing the Roman doctrine, uh, refused the, the teaching. Uh, that failed, and that they would often keep even the cup from people. They'd say, "Oh, the people can't handle the cup because they'll spill the blood of Christ." So they would only give the common people the bread of Christ. And Luther denies and says, "No." The, he he proclaims consubstantiation or chili con carne. That's how I remember it. Con meaning with, right? So uh, this is Christ's body is with the elements, while the Catholics would teach that it becomes the elements. Luther said, no, it it does not become the elements, but the body of Christ is with the elements. He described it like a sponge in water. He says the sponge, like the water is above it and below it and in it. It's with it. It's not the body of Christ, but it's like the body of Christ. The problem, again, is, is... Christ is making a metaphor of his physical body sacrificed. And his physical body is not present with the bread. His physical body is with God, waiting for his return. And so as Luther proclaims consubstantiation, I think Luther was probably trying to clarify from Catholic teaching, but not reforming far enough to make it clear. Another uh, reformed view or a current view but held by many is, is called the real presence or the presence of Christ. John Calvin described it this way. He said, the truth of the thing signified is surely present with the thing. So the truth of Christ's body and blood that is signified by the body or by the cup and the bread is surely present with the body and the blood or the cup and the bread. Again, I, I think Calvin is, is trying to make a good point and it's clear that when we take communion, it matters. But the body and the blood of Christ is not present in communion. The, the body and the blood of Christ is in his body, in his blood, was poured out. It is a physical reminder we would hold a position known as memorial or remembrance. And that position was promoted historically most by uh, Zwingli. It's his position of memorial. It's also a clear statement of the text. I I tell you all of that because you will probably know people who communicate about communion this way. In our own church, we've had people have come and said, we're keeping the grace of God from people by calling them to self-examine in communion. That we're making communion something. It's not. That it's more than a remembrance, and we're taking the presence of God from people. Uh, But I feel we stand firm, uh, not with history and the descriptions of history and who has described it, but with Paul, not a reformer, a proclaimer of the truth. He says, Do this in remembrance of me. Do this. As a reminder, do this that you know, that you consider, that you understand, as Danny did a great job reminding us this morning. It is a necessary reminder. The body of Christ, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, which is for you, as Danny reminded us in Philippians 2. That he emptied himself taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on the cross the body of Christ which is for you your righteousness is not determined by your body Your faithfulness to your body, to your physical life, to your actions of righteousness or unrighteousness are not dependent upon your body. Your righteousness, if your hope is in Christ, is completely, completely dependent not on your obedience, but on Christ's obedience. It is his perfect life. It is his perfect life as a man. It is the body in which he humbled himself to become part of. Being found in human form, he humbled himself to full obedience to the Father. And it is that body in which you remember. It is the righteousness of Christ completely given for you. It is the righteousness of Christ that lived the perfect life imparted to you in salvation and was the perfect sacrifice given for you in the blood of Christ he says this is the new covenant in my blood both in Mark and in Matthew in Matthew he adds for the forgiveness of sins the blood of the new covenant and as Hebrew says that there is no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood It also says that the blood of bulls and goats can never take away sin. But Christ came and once and for all paid the penalty for sin. As 1 Peter proclaims, He is the perfect and the precious Lamb whose blood spilled is a satisfying or a propitiation for the wrath of God. That you are freed. And as a society, as a people, we think too little of our own death. And if we were to think more frequently of our own death, we would be far more compelled to the reality of our need for Christ's perfect life and His body and His perfect sacrifice and death. His blood, His body, given for us, is remembered in the act of communion. As we hold that bread in our hand, He is so kind to give us that which physically reminds us. That He gives us what we were created to be in Him. A physical creature. A creature who lives on earth and touches and tastes and and cares for things. Who experiences things. And He has given us that which we experience which compels our mind. And as your hope is in Christ, conforms your heart, to him communion is first a remembrance second communion is a command look with me at the text mark fourteen twenty-two. he commands his disciples do this take in 1st Corinthians we see the command to all of us verse 24 do this in remembrance of me Again, in verse 25, do this as often as you drink it. Communion is a command for believers. It's not an option. Communion is not not a, you know, if this fits you. It's not a preference issue. There is much we do in life to remember Christ, right? Many of you, by clothing that declares your remembrance of Christ. You put stickers on your car or your water bottle or your notebook. You maybe even put permanent stickers on your own body to remind you of Christ. You put verses on your wall. You have habits and actions. You have traditions and you celebrate that these things would be brought to your mind. And and all of that is fine. You have freedom in Christ to set up your own reminders. What you don't have freedom to do is to ignore the reminder that Christ has commanded. Communion is not optional. It's not a if this helps you to remember. It is a commanded remembrance of Christ for the body. And so it is important that we remember communion is not just that which is given to us, but that which is commanded of us to do. Number three, it's an ordinance of the church (coughs) it is an ordinance of the church I think this one is significantly important in mark we don't necessarily know this Uh, he says it quickly and briefly and he says it to his disciples take this is my body and take this is my blood of the new covenant there's no clarity if this is a command or an ordinance That's probably because, uh, one, remember, Mark is not writing a lot of commands. Mark is writing a gospel narrative. His intention and his purpose is to display the truth and reality of Christ. Mark is mentioning, uh, just as Matthew and Luke do, the institution of communion Paul has already made clear through the book of 1 Corinthians, and already the church is practicing communion. And so Paul's not or Mark rather is not giving commands about communion. He is recording what Paul has already declared and commanded through 1st Corinthians, the actual events in which happened. But as you look at 1st Corinthians, we know communion was not just a one-time event with Jesus and his disciples, that it is a function and a purpose or an ordinance of the church. And it's significant that you realize it is an ordinance of the church, not just for individual Christians. If you look at the passage, you'll notice that I did something a little uh, funny to you, uh, possibly, as you look at 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three 23 through 32 on your handout. I capitalized the word you multiple times in that passage, the whole word. And I have some study... Materials that do this. I think it's helpful. What I capitalize that for is to draw your attention to the plural you in English we don't we we do actually have plural you's. in California uh, We frequently use our plural you's but they're not the same we say like hey you guys Right in the south. They say y'all They say plural you But in formal English we lack a plural you and so as we look at the text, it would be better read if it said, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to y'all, that the Lord Jesus, on the night He was betrayed, took bread, and when He gave, had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is my body, which is for y'all. In the same way, He also took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as y'all drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as y'all eat this bread and drink the cup, y'all proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. might not sound as fancy to you. might sound more comforting and more comfortable, but maybe it just sounded like hospitable because I said it with a southern word. But the reality is throughout the text it is a plural you. Communion is an ordinance of the church and that plural you declares it. It's important to realize that the church is a community of unity in Christ. It is a community of unity in Christ. Communion declares the substance of our unity. In 1 Corinthians prior, he said that when we participate, are we not participants or fellowshipping with or those who have true hope and relationship in Christ? Communion is not a personal thing in the sense that it's just for you. It is personal, but it's not private. It's corporate. I remember as a young man, a young believer hearing uh, a musician declare how one night she decided she was going to take communion and she went to the store and she bought a loaf of bread and grape juice and went home and was in tears taking communion on her own. Again, You can have personal things that remind you of Christ. You have the freedom to eat bread and grape juice. Uh, You can eat all kinds of bread. You might have personal preferences that keep you away from a lot of bread, and I'll pray for you. But you might have illnesses that keep you from bread, which I will also pray for you. Uh, But you have a lot of preference when it comes to bread. Just walk down a bread aisle. You can eat all kinds of bread. You can have a lot of preference when it comes to the juice of a grape. You might like a white juice from the grape. You might like a grape-colored purple. That's the one I was looking for. Uh, juice of the grape. Uh, you can drink wine. You can drink Welches, You can drink more of a Kool-Aid version that's not from a grape at all, but is purple when you drink it. But drinking that and eating that alone is not Communion. It does not mean that you can't eat to remember Christ. I think every time we eat, I I generally pray with my family that God would remind us that He sustains us in all things. That food and the pleasure and the flavor of food would remind us of the pleasure and the flavor of God. But communion is a different kind of meal. It is a different kind of reminder. It is not intended just for you privately. It is a corporate function in the church that declares our unity, and it declares it in something specific. In the person of Christ. In our mutual salvation in Christ. And that His body was given for y'all. For His people. For His church. And it is not that we're just to be tolerant of one another. It's not that we're just to be united as a group. It's not that we have the same hobbies or the same life status or the same socioeconomic status, the same ethnicities, the same ages, the same backgrounds. The unity of the church is not based on any of those things. Because salvation is available for all. Recently, I, I was joyful to hear a member of our church say... These are people who would be my friends even if my hope wasn't in Christ. That's a great way to feel about people. But I think we are in danger if our unity is found in anything as its priority other than Christ. Because Christian unity is not bound up in your hobbies, in your preferences, in your people, in your past. It is bound up in that Christ has paid the penalty for sin that all who believe will have eternal life. And communion declares that, and it declares it together. It declares our unity in Christ, that we are bound together, not by our own preferences, not by our own desires, not by our own ages, not by our own ethnicities, not by our schooling choices, not by our vacation choices, not by our hobbies, not by our hair color not by what we watch on tv or don't watch on tv not by what we eat or drink or choose not to eat or drink not by where we live not by where we go not by who raised us and not by who we are raising it is in christ it is that the penalty of sin for his people have been paid it is necessary that we reflect more on the reality of our deaths. Because in death, you will, if your hope is in Christ now, be found in Christ. And when you are found, you will be found together in Christ. You will rejoice with all His people. A love for God and the work of Christ is manifest through the Spirit by a love for the saints. It is essential that you see the church for what it is. Christ's purchased bride. It's not like other communities. It's not a social club. It is a people purchased for his own pleasure, for his own possession, to be purified and to one day forever be with him. And so communion... Though it matters to us personally, and it is personal, it is not private, but it is corporate. Number four, communion is an ongoing proclamation. 1 Corinthians 11.26, if you look with me, declares this. He says, For as often as you all eat this bread and drink the cup, you all proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Again, we don't reflect enough on the reality of our own deaths that there will come a time where all men will die and you will be judged. And you will be found judged in Christ or judged by your own deeds and your own works, which all will condemn you outside of Christ. The proclamation of the Lord's death is not morbid, it's not sick, it is what causes us to rejoice. And knowing that in his death, sin was paid for once and for all, as is proclaimed in Romans 6 and 1 Peter 3 and Hebrews 9. Hebrews 9, verse 26, he says, For then he would have to have suffered repeatedly since the foundation of the world. If Christ's sacrifice was like the sacrifice of the Old Testament that they just drew to mind, that they just gave a clear conscience, then he would have to be sacrificed again and again and again. But the author of Hebrews says, no, that is not. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him that His sacrifice once and for all put an end to sin for His people, removed the penalty of sin, removed the power of sin, and then they eagerly await His return, because when He returns, He is not coming to deal, Christian, with your sin. He is coming to call you to Himself. He is coming to reward you for your faithfulness that was empowered by Him. To rejoice. And so we wait eagerly, knowing His propitiation has been made, and we together, through communion and through our lives, proclaim the propitiation of Christ, that He has paid the penalty for sin. Our ongoing proclamation of the death of Christ and our ongoing anticipation, number five, for the return of Christ... Noticed at the end of 1 Corinthians 26, 11, 26, he says, For you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. There is an anticipation of His return. And the same as Hebrews said, He will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. Or as Mark tells us in our passage this morning, that He will not drink of the cup again or of the vine again until He returns and drinks it with His disciples in His kingdom. The same kingdom that, that Luke declares that they will reign in thrones over the tribes of Israel. Just a few verses later in Luke. That there will come a time where there is a kingdom of Christ established on earth, a kingdom that will declare to all people His reign and His authority. And will move then to an eternal kingdom in the new heavens and the new earth where His people will dwell with Him forever. And we anticipate that return. He says, Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. It will be a new drink. A new reminder. A reminder no more but a rejoicing in the presence of the Son. Revelation 19 describes it as the marriage feast of the Lamb. When God's people with Him proclaim His glory, His victory. When His kingdom is established and His kingdom then will forever be the only reigning power on earth. Ongoing anticipation. And lastly, individual examination (coughs) we see in the passages that follow the instruction of corporate communion instruction to individuals look with me on your handout at verse 27 of 1st Corinthians 11 and you notice a significant grammatical change as you looked at verses 23 through 26 remember again and again you saw y'all y'all Christ's people, They do this together. This is y'all. At verse 27, there is a significant change in grammar to all singular. It is a command or a warning to individuals who participate. As I said, communion is personal. It's not private. It's corporate. But as you personally participate in communion, as we remind often, There are individual commands for participation. You can see them in the text. He says between verses 27 and and 32, whoever, whoever, therefore, eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. In a singular sense, whoever as an individual. He makes it even more clear in verse 28. He says, let a person examine himself. Both singular, individual, a person, one, examine who? Not everyone, not, not everyone else, not your relationship to everyone else alone, your relationship to Christ, which functions in your relationships to others. As we said, love for God and the work of Christ is manifest through a love for the saints by the power of the Spirit. But the examination is one of the individual. As you come to the table, examine yourself. That So one should examine in their communion with Christ and notice not only the tense change, but the warning. That he who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. He who examines himself but does not consider the relationship and the reality of Christ to himself. He who treats this as something other, who treats this as just a meal. In Corinth, there were issues of one, disunity, uh, people who were following all kinds of people rather than Christ. There are also issues of self-indulgence and greed and selfishness. They're coming to communion, and they are getting drunk. They are eating before people are there. They are not using this feast to reflect Christ, but to satisfy their own desires. They're treating it as something casual, and even worse, as something debase. And he says, let a person examine themselves. For if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. It says in verse 31 if we judged ourselves truly, if we considered ourselves under Christ, if we examined ourselves and rightly considered the righteousness of Christ and his body, the sacrifice of Christ and his blood, the new covenant which has removed the presence, or rather the power and the penalty of sin, and we were awaiting the removal of the presence of sin with Christ, then we would judge ourselves rightly and would not be judged. But what if you're not judging yourself rightly? What if knowing the realities of the memorial of communion, the remembrance of what is going on there in the command of communion, in the ordinance of communion, in the ongoing proclamation of communion, in the ongoing anticipation of communion, you're just participating. Or you're participating uh, in sin. You're participating hiding sin. Or just blatantly living in sin. What do you do? Well, communion then is very much for you. It is very much needed for you to think rightly about your sin. If you turn to the back, I just want to point you two places where Christ commands these very things of us, that we would think rightly, that we would remember who we are. 1 Peter 13, 21, and Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. I chose both of these verses because they both speak of the covenant which is purchased by His blood. They both speak of the reality that the blood of Christ, as Matthew says, was given for the forgiveness of sin. 1 Peter 13, 21, in the beginning verses, says that we are to set our hope in the future. Therefore, preparing your minds for action, be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You are to set your hope fully upon what you are anticipating. How do you do so? You prepare your mind for action. Or you, as the New King James says, gird up the loins of your mind. You are prepared for the realities that will face you. And what mindset are you approaching those realities? Verse 14 says, as an obedient child. As one who sees Christ's holiness and seeks to live in the holiness of God. Verse 15 says, because he who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all of your conduct. Because it is written. To what does He point to the authority? Why are you to be thoughtful and prepare your mind for action in life? Because the Word of God says, You shall be holy as I am holy. And if you call on the Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. If you live on earth and you call God Father, you know... That he is the father of all you know that he reigns over all the earth you know as it is popular in our time to say we are all God's children if you know that it's true of God that we all sit under his creation it says you then ought to live in fear reverence knowing that he judges according to each one's deeds and praise God that verse 18 exists because if you are in Christ then what do you know Verse 18, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for the sake of you, who through Him are believers in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory, so that your faith... And hope are in God. You are to set your mind on the future, the reality of Christ's return. To set your mind fully on that hope so that in the present time you live as an obedient child, one who sees that God is holy and He has called those who are His to be holy as He is holy. You know that He is a faithful judge. And you know, verse 18, that if you were in Christ, you've been judged in Christ. You are no longer enslaved to your past sin. You are no longer enslaved to that which your family lived in. You are no longer enslaved to the sin of earth. You no longer have to live as one who is defined by your ethnicity or your race or your family history or your previous sin. Because you know that the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish or spot, has paid for your sin. So you are free to live before God judged rightly. Confessing your sin. Completely free before Him because your sin has been paid for. And just in case you were prone to think, yeah, but now I still live in all kinds of sin. Yeah, but what about the weight and reality of my sin? What about my continual returning to my sin? What about me now? Because sure, Christ paid the penalty of my sin, and and I rejoiced when he did that. But now I see, and I look back in life and see sins that I previously committed that were so horrible, I didn't see them as that. And I see now in my future, I still continue to live in the residuals of sin. Verse 20 For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world. We're not talking about before your birth we're talking about before creation he was foreknown he was known intimately by the father the second person of the Trinity and he was foreknown before the foundation and was manifest in this last time for the sake of you who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory in one his plan and purpose to save you was before you were even born Two, His manifesting and coming did what He promised. He paid the penalty for, his, uh, for our sin. And because of Him, then, your hope is in God. And because He was raised from the dead, the defeat of sin is declared. And then you now have faith and hope in God. I doubt that we can draw to our mind all that we should all that we know all that is true when we take a simple piece of bread and a simple cup to be reminded of something that is not simple something that is far more than simple simple to be remembered simple to be reminded but significantly overwhelming. A purchase and a penalty that we cannot describe. As a, as a modern song says, that we will never know how much it cost to see our sin upon the cross. We will not be aware. We cannot fathom nor calculate the cost in which he paid for the sin of the saints. How much more so, then, do we need regular reminders of that? By the grace of His Word, by the encouragement of one another, that were I to have more time, I would encourage you with in Hebrews 10. But I trust that you, too, have the Spirit of God, and you can read Hebrews 10 and apply it to the reality of how you move forward today. Communion is a sweet kindness of God to us that we would be pulled from the regular routine of our life to something so simple, something so regular to us as the eating and drinking of things. But something that calls us and compels us to remember, as Danny told us this morning, as that bread is crushed between our teeth, to our mind comes Isaiah 53, that he was crushed for our iniquity, That upon Him laid the chastisement that we deserved. By His wounds, we were healed. And as I often reflect, the, the sweetness and the bitterness of anything made with a grape. That it both satisfies and is sweet, but it leaves a bitter taste, a bitter feeling. The weight and the reality of our sin paid for in Him a reminder that that is taken not just in our hands, not just with our eyes, but consumed into our bodies, sustaining us, keeping us, satisfying us, giving us energy to go on as food and drink do, knowing that all of that is merely reminder, merely perishing, because our hope is one day we will have the joy of food, the joy of drink, not in a reminder that He sustains us, but in the presence of Him who sustains us forever, because He has paid the penalty of our sin, because He has lived in perfect righteousness. Christ is so good to remind us through word and through fellowship and by command through the regular participation of communion. Let's pray this morning, as we have done all of those things, that we would, as Peter commanded, prepare our mind for action, be sober-minded, set our hope fully on the grace that will be brought to us at the revelation of Christ. Live as those who long to be holy because we know that He is holy. And knowing that we were ransomed, that when sin compels us, it says, this is who you are, and this is what you do, and this is where you're from. We know, no, we have been ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from our forefathers. Not with perishable things. Not with food and drink. Not with silver and gold. Not with those things which we count precious. With the precious blood of Christ. The blood of the new covenant. The blood that calls and saves and sanctifies and causes us to wait until He returns and we are glorified. Let's pray this morning that as he has been kind, we would remember these truths.